Well, good morning, Mercy Road Church. Uh, we are so glad that you're here. Normally, we say, hey, could everybody help me welcome those who are watching online? And there's few of us in here. And so we're going to just welcome the heck out of you. Thank you so much for joining us wherever you're at, whether you're in your kitchen, your living room, you're watching on TV or a computer, or you're taking a walk and you're watching on your phone. We're so excited that you're here. Uh, I've got my friends up here, Josh, Eric, hanging out with us a little bit. Back here. <laughs> They're gonna be a little bit of an amen corner, right? As we're as we're bringing God's word, and uh, man, I'm just honored. If I haven't got a chance to meet you, my name is Davy, and I'm honored that we have some time that we can share together because uh, this really is an unprecedented time in our history. Uh, this is an unprecedented time for the church. There's really no uh, uh, there's really no manual for how to navigate this stuff except for God's word, and that's why we're breaking open God's word right now because. Uh, it's important for us to talk about what God's word has to say about situations like this because these are situations that can either, they can either shake our faith or they can shape our faith. And, and we get to determine what, which one of those that's going to be the case. These are, these are defining seasons for us as, in history, as a country, as a people, as a family because these are refining seasons. And, and, and unfortunately, what I'm seeing happen all over the world right now if I can just speak a little bit into this, is I'm seeing a lot of spiritual nearsightedness. And I want to talk about how we can put some corrective lenses, the corrective lens of God's word on that spiritual nearsightedness. If you're watching here, participate with me. How many of you guys wear corrective lenses, like glasses, contacts? Do you guys wear any corrective lenses at all? Do you wear some? I wear contacts. I've had glasses since the third grade. Third, you're yeah. so you're in the same Legit boat glasses. as I am. Yeah, yeah, you got it early. Yes, and yes. is it pretty bad? What's the prescription? I'm terrible, terrible, nearsighted, like horrible. I couldn't see you right now. You would just be a blur, <laughs> so, except for your hair. Would do you still remember? Look you pristine. know your number? Do you know your number? Like the negative, whatever. I was like negative five. I don't know, one million, something like that. Five million, somewhere <laughs> in there. I'm a negative eight point five. Wow. Oh. Okay, yeah, no, so I'm extremely worse. blind, and, and I discovered this when I was in first grade, so I also had kind of an early discovery of this, and uh, it was very unfortunate because back then, glasses were not cool. Now they're cool. I don't, I don't know what it is. Right now, they're like, everybody's doing it. Like, Trevor, he's wearing, I mean, if you want to be cool, cool, you just got to be like Trevor. Amanda started wearing glasses. Everybody's wearing it. You guys, so now it's cool, but back then, I was a product of like the you know, late 80s to early 90s. It was not cool back then. And so uh, let me show you a picture of me when I was in kindergarten before I got glasses. This is a picture of me. See? That was cool. I, like, I even kind of started having a little bit of the you know, business up front party in the back going on, a little mullet right there, because my heroes at that time were very cool. They were uh, Zach Morris. Hello. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> it does. Yes. Because yeah, they yeah. explain a lot of things. I get about, right? everything about dating. Also, another one of my heroes was uh, MacGyver. Come on, somebody. Of course. Uh, early 90s. And so uh, I remember... I remember I was really good at, 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 at you know, school. I was one of those nerdy kindergartners that would go home, and I would ask my mom because she was a teacher. I'd ask her for some more work to do, workbooks and stuff. And so I always accelerated in learning until first grade, and I was sitting in the back of my class, and, and the teacher started noticing that I was getting problems wrong, and I wasn't accelerating anymore. And so she suggested to my parents, maybe you should have him get his eyes checked. Now, I don't know if you've ever gone through an experience like this where you're getting your eyes checked. I'm, you need to go see the eye doctor regularly, so hopefully you have. But they kind of dupe you into a lot of this stuff. Like, it's a traumatic experience, isn't it? Sometimes when you go get your eyes checked, they just bring you into this, especially as a first grader. I mean, this was the most unearthing and upending thing that I had experienced oh, before. Yeah. They pop you in a seat, and they, like, 
blow wind in your eyes back in the day, you know, like, ah, you know, I wish they'd have warned me about that, but they didn't. And then, and then they kind of like do the whole A or B, one or two. And I'm like, I think it all looks the same. I don't know, maybe A, maybe B. And I'm worried about how my prescription is going to turn out if I don't get the right answer. And then they discovered for me that I was very, very nearsighted. And uh, unfortunately, I needed glasses. Now, um, this became a picture of me then after getting glasses. Go ahead and throw that one up there. Unfortunately, I got really nerdy. And, I, and I've progressed a little bit since then. I've got some cooler glasses now. Uh, but the, the thing that I want you to hear is that um, my mom t- tells me this story. And as a first grader, they put the glasses on me for the very first time. And, and I looked at everything. I kind of looked around and I said, wow, has there always been so much color in the world? Now, if that, like, as a parent, if my kid said that, that would absolutely break my heart. It's like, oh, man, there's so much more that you are now able to see. You've got new vision. You've got new direction. You, you're exposed to so much of the beauty of what's going on. And, and I couldn't see it because I was nearsighted. And I wonder today how many of us, because of the current situation that we're in, we're not seeing things that, that God wants us to see because we are so nearsighted to the cataclysmic situation that we have found ourselves in right now. And I want to open our eyes up to, to a God that is so that has so much magnitude, that has such a great plan in all of this. I want to open our eyes to a God that, that he's not worried about the situation. He's not wringing his hands over the situation. God's word says that with Without vision, the people will perish. And I want to make sure we've got proper vision because I know internally it can feel like we're perishing right now. It can feel like we're in devastation. But with God's word and his corrective lens, we can walk in confidence and in calm even in the middle of the chaos. God's not wringing his hands trying to figure out what to do about this situation. He is already working out redemptive purposes of the situation we're in right now for our good and for the good of this world. And so I want to direct our attention to 2 Kings chapter 6. That's where we're going to be studying today, 2 Kings chapter 6. And uh, this was a very, very uh, pressure-oriented season in the, the kingdom of Israel. In God's people, there was a lot going on. This was a season that was marked by war, marked by famine, marked by plague. This uh, was a devastating season. But in the passage we're about to see, the king of Syria that was pressing in against the Israelites now got mad at this one character, a prophet named Elisha, and he began to bring the battlefront to the home front of Elisha's home. Come on, how many of us know exactly what that feels like right now? Because when this coronavirus thing hit, we saw it halfway across the world, and, and a lot of us, we weren't worried about it, right? We weren't too concerned. It was like, oh, another one of these kind of viruses that are going to... But now, that battlefront has come in on the home front. And now it's hit really close to home, and it's become this thing that every one of us are now affected by. And that's what happens here, essentially, when the king of Assyria begins to uh, pursue and attack Elisha in 2 Kings chapter 6. And this is what it says in verse 14. It says, so he, meaning the king of Syria, sent their horses and chariots and a great army. And they came by night and surrounded the city. And then verse 15, when the servant of the man of God, so the servant of Elisha, rose early in the morning and went out. Behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. So see the stage here. They're they're walking out into the city, the two of them, the servant, Elisha, and they see this massive army surrounding them. And the battlefronts come to the home front. And I need you to know that when the battlefront comes to the home front, there's three battles that we're going to ultimately have to face. Now, you need corrective lenses to see this because normally in our natural humanity, we only see one of the battles, maybe two of the battles. 
But we've got to see that there are three battles. And the first battle that all of us usually, that doesn't miss us, is, is, is the battle that we see. The battle that we see. Elisha's servant stepped out and he saw the enemy armies surrounding him. And, and what he saw was, was pressure coming in around him, surrounding him. He, he began to worry because he began to be afraid. And, and all things considered, I wonder how many people right now you feel like you're surrounded. You feel like everything's kind of closing in around you. I get it. I understand, right? Um, uh, being quarantined for several weeks and not knowing when the end is in sight, especially if you have young kids, that can feel like you're surrounded, right? You can feel like you're pressed in on and you can feel because everybody needs you and mommy, daddy, and mommy, daddy, this. I, this is the first time in the history of the Blackburn family that we have considered buying video games and teaching our kids a bad habit of playing video games just to kind of get them off our back, right? I mean, it, you can kind of feel pressed in. You want to get outside and you want to get out. In the, but, you know, joking aside, there's serious things that we, that we are feeling right now. Like, we're feeling, we're feeling pressed in and, and, and surrounded from a health standpoint. Like, I've got family members that, that I'm concerned about because they fall into an age demographic that seems to be highly susceptible to this virus. And, and I don't know, and we don't know, how many of our loved ones, how many of our friends in three, four, five weeks are going to still be here. I get it. There's some serious, not to mention the, the threat of, of our livelihood, the threat of the economy, and how it's causing all of us to feel surrounded. I, I get it. My, my livelihood is contingent on people gathering <laughs> so that I can travel to them and speak. So in a matter of two days, we, we lost three months, maybe more, of, of personal revenue to provide for my family. And this is, this is the same thing everybody else is experiencing. We're all in the same boat together. There is a battle that is going on that we very evidently see. We can perceive it. Like, it's there. But then there's a, there's a second battle. And, and some of us miss this second battle. And the second battle is what you think about what you see. Come on, notice I didn't say how you feel about what you see. Because we all have those feelings, right? We all have the, res the response inside of us, the physiological response of feelings of what we... But I said what you think about what you see because the real battle is not in how we feel. It's what we think about how we feel about what we see. Did you, did you catch that? Yeah. Um, you see, there was a, a great um, doctor and psychiatrist that lived through uh, Auschwitz, which was a concentration camp during World War II Nazi uh, oppression, and in Auschwitz, there were 1.3 million Jews that were taken to that. 1.1 million of those Jews were, they ended up dying. And Viktor Frankl, who was this one, uh, that the psychiatrist, he survived it. And out of it, he began to kind of theorize some things. And he began to talk about the common denominators of the people that he saw survive this, this nasty, gruesome, horrific genocide. And, and, and he said that when we are in situations like this, there is always a stimulus, something that happens to us, and, and there is a response, how we respond to what happens to us. But, but when we find ourselves in those situations, there needs to be space between our stimulus and our response. And he said the greatest space that we put between those two things helps to ensure our, our survival, not just survival, but thriving moving through this. Come on, what we would say as people of faith, God's word tells us, is that faith is the gap between what we feel and what we know to be true as fact. 
And in that gap, there is, there is a, a faith response that happens where we, where we think about what we feel and our mind begins to be renewed, scripture says, to, to, what, to align to what God's word says that can speak to and preach to what we feel. You see, here's what happens in this passage is Elisha's servant comes out and, and he sees this. Elisha looks at him and it says, um, the servant said, alas, my master, what shall we do? He said, look at Elisha's response. Do not be afraid. Don't you hate that? Like that seems like, honestly, like to me, I, I hate when people just say, hey, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Because I'm like, no, but I am afraid. And I need you to hear me say, the stuff that's going on, it causes us as humans to feel feelings of anxiety and fear and trepidation. And those feelings are valid. This is part of the human experience is that we are afraid. And God knew this because the commandment in scripture, do not be afraid, is listed at least in many different forms, but it's listed at least 366 times in scripture. Come on, one for every single day of the year, including, hello, 2020, the leap year. God's telling us, hey, listen, you don't have to be afraid. I know that you're experiencing fear, but you don't have to be afraid. And there is a why behind that command. Come on, I need you to hear me say, if you and I lose our why, we're going to begin to lose our way. To just kind of blanket over and say, hey, we don't have to be afraid. It's kind of like being like a Pollyanna or just sticking our head in the mud and going, oh, just and acting like things are not happening. No, there's a reason why we don't have to be afraid. And I'm going to get to that reason in just a second. But I want to talk a little bit about some of this idea of, of of what we think about what we see, because this is an imperative battle that if we do not approach this battle properly, then we're going to lose this battle. We've got to be able to look at and think clearly about what we see. Scripture says that God has not given us a spirit of fear or timidity, but he's given us a spirit of power. Come on, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you and me if you're a follower of Jesus. If you've received what he did for you on the cross for the forgiveness of sins, if you believe that he raised from the dead, that same spirit lives in us. It's a spirit of power that he gives us. The spirit of love. It says we can approach these situations with compassion and with empathy and we can love. And most importantly, a spirit of a sound mind where we can think rationally about these situations because we know our why. And so we know our way. Um, One of the things that Viktor Frankl also said is he said that the people that survived didn't have a Pollyanna, highly optimistic, like head in the sand type mentality. And they also didn't slip into despondence. They didn't slip into either one of those two camps, the extreme camps. Can we be honest? If we watch the media right now, we watch the news, we watch what's going on in the world, it's very easy, no matter what your biases are, you can find one of those two extremes right now. And he says that if, if you're going to survive this, if you're going to thrive in this, you actually have to hold in tension two things. You've got to hold in tension the reality and the severity of what's going on around you. And you have to hold, in the other hand, this tension that says, no matter what happens, we will prevail. We will walk through this. And when you hold those two things in tension, it allows you to walk in a sound mind. It all has to do with the battle that's going on in our mind. You see, we're, we've, got, we've all got feelings of anxiety. We've all got feelings of concern. We've all got, and those are normal feelings. But can I tell you what I've discovered about my own anxiety? 
I tend to be anxious about situations when I'm trying to control the things that are out of my control and when I don't do anything about the things that are in my control. See, even in this situation, there are some things that are within our control. There are some things that are put in front of us that we can steward. There are some things that we can step into obedience that God's word tells us to step into no matter what, where we can control our action and our response within these things. And then, listen, friends, there are some things that are plainly and frankly out of our control. And in those situations where we feel out of control, we know that God is still in control, that he still sits on the throne, right, Eric? That he reigns, that he is not concerned about this, that what's over our head is still under his feet. Come on. We may not know the future. We, we may not know what it holds, but we know who holds the future. Be, because, because God, he loves us. He's for us. And so listen, my encouragement for this week, for the next several weeks, is to control the things that you can control. And let God control the things that you can. Lay it at his feet. Cast your cares on him. Scripture says in Philippians chapter 4, it, it says, do not be anxious for anything. <laughs> But, but in everything, through prayer and petition, present your requests to God. And then it says, and then, when you do, when you bring it to God in the morning, at night, during the day, when you say, God, here's this anxious thought that I'm having right now. Here's this concern. Here's this worry. I'm bringing it to you. When you do, it says, the peace of God that passes all understanding. Listen, it doesn't make sense to me. Like, the peace that God can bring, it doesn't make sense to me. But, it, like, it doesn't make sense to the world either, church. When we begin to post things about having peace and having, having a sound mind in all of this situation, it doesn't make sense. But it will guard our heart and minds in Christ Jesus is what Philippians 4 tells us. And so here's practically speaking, here's what I, I am practicing right now. I want to encourage you to practice. Um, right now may not be the time for you to consume large amounts of news media. Because the battle in your mind is one with how, you, how and what you consume. Scripture says the eye is the lamp to the body. So what comes in is what's going to ultimately influence what's happening on the inside, what's happening right here. And so, and so perhaps instead of, instead of consuming a bunch of media and, and causing all kinds of anxiety, we need to consume some other things. We need to consume God's word. Get in God's word. Let God's word get in you. We need to consume community around us. I, I know we've got social distancing, absolutely. And although we're physically distant, we don't have to be emotionally distant. The power of technology allows us to connect with each other and stay in each, other, each other's lives and call each other up and, and say, hey, brother, I'm praying for you. I want you to be a part of this. And there's so many different ways that we can still find community where we can borrow other people's faith and, and, we, can, and we can bring to them stories of faith in, in and of ourselves because of the power of technology. This is so imperative. Notice it was Elisha that spoke truth into Elisha's servant. They were together. And Elisha said, don't be afraid. Because Elisha had insight into some things that his servant didn't have insight into. And, and so this week and in the next couple weeks, Mercy Road is going to be doing some things that will really help you to connect and engage and consume the right things to win this second battle, the battle in your mind. And Pastor Josh is going to come up and share some of those things with us right now. Thanks, Davey. Man, wow. Stay tuned. He's still got the final point coming about how to fight this battle spiritually. But I just want to encourage you, you know, take this stuff seriously medically. Do social distancing. Do all the things that are recommended. Absolutely. But you don't have to lose the community, just as Davey was just sharing. In fact, I encourage you. Right now, we're going to show a graphic. It is our Mercy Road TV guide over the next coming weeks. In fact, as you see the different things that will be listed here, uh, every, almost every day of the week, except for Friday and Saturday, we've got different uh, programming and connection points online. We're going to have online outposts that you connect with through our Facebook groups. And the details for that will be coming out this week.
But look at all the things that are happening. We have Mercy Kids, Mercy Students on Sunday mornings and afternoon as well. Stick around 1 o'clock. You're not going to want to miss uh, Ben and Trevor with the late morning show. It's going to be a blast. And then uh, Monday, we've got the prayer night here for Carmel. Prayer night, Tuesday night, uh, or excuse me, Wednesday night uh, downtown. And then um, Thursday, we've got a prayer night as well. There is all the listings of opportunities to connect. In fact, I want to highlight something. I didn't do this at the last service, but noon on Wednesdays, I'm actually going to be teaching a, a live Bible study that you can attend and, and interact online and be looking at the uh, Revelation and end times uh, mm. theology. So I know. Isn't that going to be fun, guys? That would be awesome. Uh, get, get ready for it. You can bring the yeah, graphic down. But I want to encourage you, uh, join us online this week. Grow in your faith. Study scripture together. Interact with one another. Because just as David was saying, if all you do is consume the worry and anxiety and isolation around you that people are encouraging you to do, it's very quickly you will lose the battle of the way that you think. The way that you think. So finally, the third point. Thanks, Josh. Um, you know, I know it's sometimes hard to hear somebody say like, hey, don't lose faith and let's, let's do this and let's try harder and, let's, that's, and that's not what we're saying. Um, Remember what I mentioned earlier that there is always in the command of scripture of do not be afraid, there's always a why. There's always something that, that comes and it follows that command. And I wanna, I wanna direct your attention as we close to verse 16 again, as Elisha is telling the servant that you don't have to be afraid. Look what it says. He said, do not be afraid. And he knows, listen, he knows that, that most people in these situations, spiritually, they tend to vacillate between nearsightedness of having this, this being so bogged up in the weeds of what's going on immediately surrounding them and farsightedness beginning to project things that don't actually exist into the future. And there's this vacillation that happens in the spiritual. And so Elisha tells him, do not be afraid. And what's the next word? The next word right here, everybody say it with me, right there where you're at, at your home, in your kitchen, do not be afraid for, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Now at this point, if I'm Elisha's servant, I'm thinking, Elisha, what are you smoking, bro? Because it's very apparent there are two of us. Like, like Darren, I know you're getting your guitar ready, but if you came to me and you said, Hey, Davey, don't worry. Right now, there are more people that are with us than are, than are not with us. I'd be like, hey, Darren, this auditorium is empty. <laughs> but, but Darren knows something. He knows that there are more people present with us, come on, online, in places that we can't see than people who are with us right now. And this is the insight that Elisha is trying to tell his servant. He's going, hey, don't vacillate in these seasons between nearsightedness and farsightedness. What I want you to have instead is I want you to have a foresight, a foresight to know, listen, we don't have to be afraid for, for those who are with us are more than those who are against us. We don't have to be afraid for we know that what surrounds, what surrounds us is greater than what surrounds us. Come on, Elisha had some insight into the third battle, and that battle is what you don't see. The battle in the spiritual, the, the forces of, of supernatural that are they're waging war, and, 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 and God's army began to surround 
the army physically that was surrounding them. Come on, we can put on these corrective lenses to know that God is, listen to me, for us and with us and he loves us and he is, he is walking in this season in tandem with us. We can have the foresight. We don't have to be afraid. And this was Elisha's prayer in verse 17. It says, then Elisha prayed and said, oh Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. Friends, this is our prayer. This is our prayer this week. It's our prayer for you. It's our prayer for me and for my family. It's our prayer for every single one of us and our families as we're trying to figure out how to navigate this whole season. Is God, would you open up our eyes and help us to see the things that are unseen. Help us to have a perspective that we cannot have in and of ourselves. You see, because when we have foresight, friends, when we have a, a heavenly perspective, when we have our eyes set on eternity rather than the, the circumstances that surround us right now, when we have that kind of a foresight, we begin to look at things differently. We have vision. We have direction. We begin to see the obstacles in front of us as opportunities. Do you know all throughout history, it's been these kinds of adversity that God has used to refine his people and set them up for the next assignment in their life? It's been these kinds of adversities. He's used the church to, to innovate in ways that nobody thought could be possible and to reach more and more people. Come on, the church is alive and on the move more than ever today. The church is advancing. We are not sitting on the defense, back on our heels, because we have the foresight. Man, Pastor Josh reminded us this past week that, that, that in the second century plague that took place in Rome and in the 13 and 1400s and the black plague that, that sweeped across Europe and, and killed a third of the Europeans, that Christians, instead of responding in hostility and self-preservation the way the world was responding, instead they rushed in in hospitality and in service. Why could they have confidence like that? Because they had foresight. To know that this right here, this world, is not our home. We've got something else to look forward to. We have a hope that is in heaven, friends. So while we have no idea what this is and how serious this may be, we can hold in tension the fact that we do know a God who already knows the end of the story. And he's already begun to write the redemptive processes for what is taking place even in our current situation right now. Perhaps, friends, this is an, an interruption to our story or an interruption to our lives. Maybe God is inviting us into an even greater story right now. All right, let, me, let me close with this. Um, a couple months ago, we decided to show my five-year-old the movie Sandlot. You guys know the movie Sandlot? Isn't it a good movie? I mean, every young boy especially should grow up knowing all the lines to the movie Sandlot. Right? You're killing me, Smalls. <laughs> you, know? you know what I'm talking about, Darren. You got like Windy Peppercorn. <laughs> I mean, you got, you, you, of course, you got the Sultan of Swat, right? The Colossus of Clout. The Great Bambino. You mean that wimpy deer? I mean, like, a, it's a classic. So we show it to my son. We're sitting on the couch, and he's cuddling up with me, and there are some parts of that plot line that made him really anxious, made him, made him afraid. I could feel his body tensing up. I could feel him responding to this. And it was the parts with the, the dog, of course, right? But you know what's interesting about that plot line is like, without the dog, it's a pretty boring movie, right? There's like, there's, there's nothing there. It's hollow. But even the fact that there was an adversary 
the, the fact that there was a, a protagonist that was coming against them, it, it, sure, it created some anxiety in my son, but it made the movie. And what's even more important is that I'm sitting there cuddling with my son as his father. I've seen that movie hundreds of times. Like, I know the end of the story. I know the fact that this dog does not have the final word in the end. And I know the fact that even the adversity that this adversary was bringing forward was a thing that was being used to refine and strengthen these characters. And so while my son was nervous and he was afraid and I could feel his body tensing up, I, as his father, I was not afraid. Why? Because I knew the end of the story. Come on, I need you to hear me say this, Mercy Road, wherever you're at, whether you're at your kitchen, in your living room, taking a walk on your phone right now, our God, our Father knows the end of the story and he's given us insight he's given us foresight into the end and that is friends that we win no matter what we have the victory that we don't have to fight this battle that we can trust in God that he's working all of this out for our good and for his glory and for the good of people all over the world let's put on our foresight classes let's see it Let's see the things that we can't see because we win. So here's what I want to do. I want to invite you to do something. Wherever you're at, I want to invite you to make your house a house of worship because the only response to this naturally is worship. When we don't know what to do, our eyes are on you, God. And, and, and when we begin to open up our eyes, we can begin to see the things that are in the unseen. And our weapon against this worry right now can be worship. So come on, I want to invite you to stand. Wherever you're at, I want to invite you to stand with your family and with your friends. If, if you've got folks that are gathered there in a small group right now, I invite you to stand. I want to invite you to sing this song. That, come on, though the battle may be forming around us, we don't have to be afraid. For our God is for us. He is with us. He cares for us. Come on.